God moved on the heart of Nehemiah and a man named Ezra. So we're going to talk about both of those two today. The book of Ezra and Nehemiah both talk about this same story. So God moved on the heart of Ezra to come back as a priest, as a scribe, as a teacher to help teach the people the ways of the Lord. And God moved on the heart of Nehemiah to come back from Babylon to help rebuild the walls of the city because they were vulnerable. They were all there, but they were their enemies were coming after them because they were vulnerable. They didn't have any protection. The walls of the city are what gave them protection. And it gave them establishment. It showed that they were an entity. And so Nehemiah felt prompted by God to come back and rebuild the walls of the city. And so that's what he did. He came back, and we've been talking about that process, how God brought that idea to him through prayer, how he came and faithfully served, how opposition came to them of rebuilding. And so they began to build with one hand on their swords and one hand on the wall, and they were determined to do the work. And 52 days later, the walls of the city were rebuilt, and they had established what God had wanted them to do. So that is where we are today. Hey, they did it. They, they were done. So it's all good news from there, right? Yeah, it is. So what I want to talk to you today is about after this process happened. After the walls were rebuilt, the people had begun to establish their homes. They kind of moved in. Kind of the heavy lifting was done. They began to settle. And Ezra the priest came back and began to look around at what was happening. And you are not going to believe what was happening. They were starting to fall into the same trap that their forefathers had done. They were starting to worship other idols. They were letting old things begin to creep into again. They were marrying unbelievers, which was forbidden in their, in their religion. They were worshiping idols again. And Ezra kind of goes, what in the world are you doing? So I just told you this entire backstory. We're talking about thousands of lives. We're talking about hundreds of years. We're talking about, like, they have just made it through this horrible thing, being carried off. They've come back. God has restored them. He's rebuilt them. And they get settled into their homes again, and they start making the exact same mistakes again. Can you imagine that the leaders are kind of like, what are we going to do with you people? Why are you doing this? And have you ever watched someone do this in real life? Maybe they've just come through a really tough thing, or they've emerged, or they've broken through an addiction, or they've come through this really tough time, and they finally made it to the other side. And then you watch them start to stick their toe right back into the same mess that got them there before. And you want to literally start pulling your hair out. You want to go, what in the world are you doing? Why are you doing this? Don't you remember what happened last time you did this behavior? Don't you remember last time? Don't you remember what you've come out of? And we kind of want to go, what in the world is going on? And this is what was happening to the people. And so Ezra has a plan. So he calls all of the people. He says, I want everyone to gather together, and we're going to meet inside the city. And so everybody came from all of the villages. They all gathered. They built a big platform right outside of the temple. And it says in Nehemiah chapter 8 that Ezra, after all the people had gathered and they're all standing around, he steps up onto this platform, and he opens the book of the law, the book that Moses had written about their history, about where they came from, about the things that God has for them. And it says that he began reading line by line, began reading line by line. And then he would stop, and he would explain what that meant. And the people, it says that in Nehemiah 8, they were so attentive. They were listening. 
they didn't realize all of the things that were in that law. They hadn't been educated. They didn't understand. And all of a sudden, they realized what they were doing. They realized where they were failing, where they were falling into the same traps. They began to to understand how they were missing the things that God had asked them to do. They began to understand all that God had brought them from and how they got here and how they were heading back in the same path. And it says that they fell on their faces and they began to weep and they began to cry. They were hearing what God had done before and realized that they were falling short. And so all the people bowed down and they were so moved. They were weeping as they would hear the words. And Ezra would read another passage. It says from dawn until noon, he would just read another story. He would read another passage. He would explain to them what it meant. And they'd fall on their faces and repent and cry and ask God to help them not to fall into the same trap. It's just a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture to me of people realizing, hold on, we don't have to go back the way we were. We don't have to fall under the same trap. We don't have to do that. We can change our course. We can, we can do things the right way this time. God, you've been so faithful, and we want to be faithful people back. And so the passage I want to read to you today comes after they have been on their faces crying, listening to the word of the Lord. So I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, and this is what it says. Then Nehemiah the governor And Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people, said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected or sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they had heard God's word, and they understood them. Oh, I love that passage of Scripture. This was such a huge moment. It was such a renewal of faith. I can imagine as they were hearing those words, they were so humble. They were so overwhelmed by all they had been through. Have you ever just come through a really, really, really tough season, and all of a sudden you just have a moment where you kind of let it all sink in? What you have come through, what you have overcome, and, and this is what they were having. But I can imagine the reason they were on their faces and the reason that they were weeping is there must have been a little bit of fear in there about What makes us think we're going to be any different than our ancestors? What makes us think that we're going to be able to walk this thing out? What makes me think that I'm going to be able to to walk in the ways of the Lord and not mess up like all these people had? I think they kept thinking, look, we keep making mistakes. We keep screwing up. I don't want to go back there. But look at us. We're already heading back into that same path. There had to be a moment of realization that was so humbling and terrifying, and that is why they fell on their faces going, God, how in the world are we going to do this? When God is rebuilding something, when God has done a work, you just don't want to mess it up. And they were praying and going, God, what do we do? And maybe for you, 
as we've been talking about God rebuilding something in our lives the last few weeks, you were feeling optimistic and determined and excited at all that God has done, and you were thinking, yes, Lord, I want you to rebuild my marriage. Yes, Lord, I want you to rebuild my home. I want you to rebuild my faith. I started to doubt you so much, and I, I know you want to rebuild that in me. And yet, as you begin walking that out, you keep stumbling and you keep tripping. And there's a little voice in the back of your head that says, you're going to just end up in the same place anyway. Why do you think that it's going to be different this time? And maybe you are on your face like the Israelite people going, what is going to be different this time? How can I make these changes? What if I go back to those same habits? I've been around this block before. What will make this time different? How do I make sure I don't end up with that same pile of rubble that I was sitting on before? You might think, see, nothing has changed. Our struggles can come in, and, and that enemy likes to whisper, you'll never be different. It'll always go, you'll just go back to the way that you were before, and yet that is not the truth. I think that that is how those people are feeling as they are lying on their faces. But I love, love, love the passage of Scripture where Nehemiah tells them what to do. What does he say to them as they are lying on their faces? He says, wipe your eyes get up off the ground, and go have a party. That was essentially what he said. Okay, he says, again, I'll read it to you, verse 9 and 10. Don't mourn or weep on a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. And Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, what? (laughs) What in the world? Now, I think if I was in charge, if I had been there instead of Nehemiah, I would have said, that's good. You just stay right there. You just keep laying there. You remember what has brought you here. You just keep that mourning going on. That's really good. I'm happy that you feel bad. You should feel bad. It's kind of like our dog, Buster who we love. I know Jeff always talks like he doesn't like him. He does. But he is so naughty. And we come home and he will have grabbed a bag of something and we'll start to find remnants. The other day we came home from Bible study and I had, I had my food shelf bag. Of course, I forgot to bring it to church. And I had a, there was a bag of mini marshmallows in it that I was going to take to the food shelf. And Buster had gotten out the bag of mini marshmallows and I walk in and I see a pile of like five of them. And then I walk a little further, and there's another pile of five of them. And then there's another pile of five of them. And we realize the dog had gotten the bag open, but we can't quite figure it out because we have found mini marshmallows hidden everywhere. I think he's a beagle, and he decided to bury them. So we find them, like, behind pillows and beds. We found them, like, stuffed in laundry baskets. I'm finding them everywhere. And we can't figure out because they're not wet. We think he carried the bag around and, like, dumped a few out and then buried him, and then, I don't know. But anyway, whenever Buster does something like that, you know what we do? We grab him, and first thing we go, what did you do? What did you do? Look at what you did. And then we walk around, and every time we find another mess, we'd rub his nose in it and say, how dare you get into my marshmallows? And he just walks around like this. And this, to me, is an effective way to deter him from getting in my marshmallows. It's not proven effective, but yet I still walk around saying, what have you done? What did you do? And I think that a lot of times we think this has got to be the most effective way when someone does something wrong to get them to not do it again. 
And so we walk around going, what did you do? That's right. You keep your face in the carpet. That's right. You have screwed up. You should feel bad. You should feel sorry. You should feel scared that you're going to go back because that's exactly what you were doing. But that's not what Nehemiah did here. That's not at all what he did. He looked at them and said, hold on. Okay, get up. Dry your eyes. This isn't a day to be sad. This isn't a time to mourn. This is a time to get up, gather the people that you love, go and have a feast, remember where you've come from, remember that God is with you, go enjoy your families, go spend time together, and celebrate this new season you are entering. Oh man, I need to remember that and how I deal with others. Instead of rubbing people's noses in their messes, how much more should I encourage them? Hey, God makes all things new. It's okay. Get up. Get up. It's okay. Wipe your eyes. Let's go. Remember the faithfulness of God. We've all been there. It's okay. Instead of rubbing noses in it, we should be lifting others up. Instead of clucking my tongue when someone says, well, I really I think I'm going to be different, and saying, we'll see. We'll see. I've heard you say that before, so we'll see. Instead of doing that, I wonder if I would be better served to say, I know, I believe you. I know, I know you've stumbled a lot, but guess what? I believe that this time is going to be different. And I'm going to, I'm going to cheer you on. I'm going to cheer you on as you do that. And then I should offer that same grace to myself. When I blow it, when I'm feeling like I will never change, when I'm having this shame spiral of why can I never seem to get headway in this thing where I take two steps forward and then seven steps back. And when I feel like, Oh, it's just hopeless. Maybe I should remind myself, hey, get up. It's okay. This isn't a day for sadness and mourning. This is a day to get up and remember there is new mercy every single day. And that new mercy will motivate me to make changes. Nehemiah did not rub their noses in it. He told them to gather all their friends and family together, serve some really good food, and go have a party. I love it. And this is why, this very last verse here, he says, because the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Now, that is one of the, like, foundational verses of Christianity. We've all sung it, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Maybe you didn't sing that when you were a little kid. We could sing it all because there's verses. We could all do it, and there's actions. But you know what? The interesting thing is I never realized the context of where that verse was found. I never realized that smack dab here in the middle of Nehemiah, I figured that was like a Jesus verse, but no, it's back there, way back in Nehemiah. It's stuck in the middle there in this context of these people who have just endured this horrible thing, who are starting to make mistakes again. And in that moment, in that context, Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord will be what strengthens you to make a change. The joy that comes into your spirit and your life, that's what's going to fill you with strength. Not the shame, not the regret, not the lying on your face, but the joy that comes from the Lord, that is what is going to change you. Instead of saying, hey, fear of screwing up again, well, that's going to give you the strength to make better choices. Or, hey, regret, that's a great motivator for change. Instead of saying those things, he said, hey, the joy that you feel 
when you remember what God has done, when you gather with the people he's given you, when you celebrate the beauty and the gifts that he has given you, these moments, that place, that joy is what's going to fill you with the strength to be different. That's what's going to change you. Doing those things will bring joy, and it will infuse you with strength. I love that. It's just so beautiful. Because God is truly in those moments. He truly is in those moments. And the things that bring us joy, when we experience the joy that Jesus brings, when we remember his faithfulness, when we look around a table and we see the people he's given us, when we look around and we see the beautiful things he's given us, this gorgeous world that he's given us, when we see those things and we experience that joy, some strength is infused into our bodies and our minds and our spirits that gives us the strength to be different. I love that. And so I want you to think about that. Think about what brings you strength, right? Joy is a strength bringer, for sure. So I was thinking about these scenarios. So imagine that you have a Friday night at home, and you're with your whole family, but everybody's kind of doing their own thing. This is not indicative of the Kerr house at all, so don't judge us. But it might happen every once in a while. But it's like... Everybody's heating out old, heating up old takeout, you know, the kind where the rice is like all clumped in the bottom. And, you know, the kids are like, what's for dinner? And, and someone might say, just go find something in the fridge. And sure enough, I look and it's Lucky Charms or something like that that they're eating. Everybody's in the same room, but nobody's talking. Everybody's got their headphones on. We're all on different Netflixes. And now we've run out of Netflix stations. So everybody's fighting over who has to get kicked off of Netflix because everybody's doing their own thing and everybody's just sitting around. And after about two hours of just kind of sitting on the couch watching mindless YouTube videos, no one's actually talking. How do you feel after a few hours like that? Are you feeling inspired? Are you feeling connected? Are you feeling joyful? Okay, I want you to contrast that feeling to an evening where you're sitting around a table with people you love. And it's beautiful table. And the food is gorgeous. And it smells really good. And there's candles that are lit. And it's a beautiful table. And you're sitting around with your family or friends that you love. And you're talking and you're laughing. And you keep eating and you keep eating and you keep eating. And pretty soon the laughter turns to thinking about things that are, are bothering you. And you start saying, I'm going to pray with you about that. And you have these deep, meaningful conversations. And then you get in the car to drive home. How do you feel after that? So I want you to think about those two scenarios. Now, some of you are going, I love the takeout, man. And if I'm alone, even better, right? But the truth is, I think for a lot of us, we live our lives in these disconnected moments. And there's nothing sacred and there's nothing special. And it's just Netflix and takeout and sweatpants. And we're going, why don't I feel any joy? I just feel blah. It feels like I was uh, talking to somebody yesterday about, I know, I just keep opening Facebook. And next thing I know, I'm like reading some article going, how did I get here? What? I don't even care. I don't even know what this is about. I'm reading the comments about someone's kid. That I don't even know who these people are. And I'm spending all this time and we're, we're using these counts counterfeit, um, fake things. And we're walking around with this feeling of kind of like, I'm not really connecting with anybody. I'm not really, nothing, this isn't bringing actual joy. And then we have these moments where we're sitting with people we love 
and we're talking and we're connecting and we're engaging and we're experiencing beauty. I don't know about you, but that fills me up. And I feel the strength that comes in those moments. I feel that. There's nothing that I love better than going out for dinner with, with Jeff or with my friends and sitting around and talking. And I get in the car and I feel it. I feel that strength coming into me of like, oh, yeah. This is what life is all about. This is beautiful. God, thank you for all you've given me. I think a lot of us are living lives that we feel far more blah than blessed. And yet, the word says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy that we experience when we are with people we love. I think this is a timely passage of scripture for us as we are going into the holidays. That, hey, the best tool that you can do to strengthen your faith, to strengthen your life, to be filled with joy, is to spend time having a party, spending time with people you love, spending time doing things that you love, that that joy will fill you with strength. I want to read you a little passage from Benson's commentary on the Old Testament. He says about the scripture, Rejoicing in God, in the manner prescribed in his word, or serving him with cheerfulness and thankfulness, will give you that strength, both of body and mind, which you greatly need, that you may perform all the duties required of you, and oppose the designs of your enemies against you. But dejection of mind and excessive grief, if you indulge it, it will both offend God and damp your spirits, and it will even weaken your very bodies and make you unfit for God's service and an easy prey for your enemies. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Some of you need strength, and it's going to come to you through the joy of the Lord. Now, sometimes we can make a lot of excuses why we never seem to experience those things that bring us joy. And the truth is we have to be purposeful about making those moments. What I love about this concept is we're talking about the joy of the Lord that comes to us in these holy moments. The scripture tells me that the joy I experience when I am around a table with people I love, that's holy that the presence of God is with me in those moments. That that feeling that you feel, it's not sentiments. It's the presence of our God who gives all good things. Everything good comes from his hand. And when we are enjoying people we love and blessings from his hand, he is present at that table and he is sitting among us. And the joy we feel is not our own joy, it's his. And it infuses us with strength. And it infuses us with courage and it infuses us with good things coming from God. Something sacred happens around those tables. Something sacred happens in those moments when you're connecting with people that you love. I love that. Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If we look at that word strength in Hebrew, it's actually very interesting. It means a place of safety, a defense, a fortress, or a helmet. So when you think the joy of the Lord is your strength, the joy of the Lord is your helmet. (laughs) You think of that? It's the thing that protects you. It's the strength that comes in. The joy of the Lord, it's a fence built around you that protects you from the enemy. When you have the joy of the Lord in you, it is protection for you. I love that. It builds a wall around your heart and shields you in tough times. It's a helmet on your head that will protect your mind from despair. It's your defense when the enemy shoots arrows at your heart. A shield of joy will defend you. 
Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25 says, So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? These pleasures are from the hand of God. Holy, sacred moments when we find satisfaction and enjoyment in the beautiful things that God has given to us. Now, it must be said, I'm going to take a second. I don't want you to go home and say, oh my goodness, my pastor told me to totally I could go out and party this week. (laughs) No, 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 no. That is not what I'm saying. We all know that there is a counterfeit manufacturing for what we're talking about here, right? It's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about like, oh, I'm just going to go out. I'm going to get drunk. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's going to fill me with so much joy. We all know the fruit of that, right? Messes, messes, messes. So that is not what we are talking about. The enemy likes to counterfeit real enjoyment, real connection, real times of celebration and festivities and enjoying people. This is not out of control, right? That kind of stuff always ends up in messes. So that is not what we are talking about today. This great verse in Ecclesiastes 10, it says, Happy is the land whose king is a noble leader and whose leaders feast at the proper time, to gain strength for their work, not to get drunk. I thought that was so great. Hey, there is wisdom to feast and enjoy each other to gain strength, not to have everything fall apart. So there is wisdom in how you walk about this out. But enjoying time with people, enjoying the beautiful things God has given to you, that is important. So I want to ask you today, what are some of the things that bring you true joy? Think about what that is for you. What are some things that bring you true joy? I want to talk about a few of them today. One is ceremony. Ceremony. We're going into this time of year where I just love all the traditions of Thanksgiving. We don't even ask anymore. We know exactly what we're having. We don't even try anything. Grandma's tried. Nobody eats the new stuff. We just want the same old stuff on Thanksgiving. We want the traditions because there is something that just feels so good to just know. I know what that's going to be. There's something about traditions and ceremony. There's something about routine. I think a lot of times we don't have ceremonies anymore. You know, there was a time that church had liturgy and there were things that were constant and you kind of always came back to. There's something about ceremony. There's something about honoring certain things and having traditions in how you do things. I love routines. Well, some routines. I don't like to do a lot of routine, but I have certain routines in my life that just bring me joy. I was thinking about it. One of my favorite routines is in the mornings. Now, sometimes if I get up with the little kids or with the ones who have to get off first, poor junior hires that have to get up so early. Um, sometimes I do. I can have a little time in the morning before they all are off, but sometimes it's when, when they all leave. But I have my little spot on my desk, and I go and I sit down, and it's right in front of a window, and I first make my coffee, and then I open my Bible, and then I turn on Pandora, and it has to be the classical station, and they always start with Yo-Yo Ma, and it makes me so happy because the cello starts. And I even light a candle, and I even have to use a match because it smells really good. I don't even use a light. If I do a lighter, it just ruins the whole thing. I have my little morning routine, and my music starts playing, and I open my Bible, and it's, there's just this moment. I just feel the presence of God. I know he meets me there. I know he meets me there every morning. That is a joy place in my life that I do every single morning. 
What are those places in your day that you experience joy? Maybe it's just one little thing that you do. Maybe it's just that little Starbucks red cup in your hand. And you are going, the Lord is in this moment, and there the joy of the Lord will get me through this day. Maybe it's just a ceremony. What is a routine in your day that brings you joy? Maybe it is just when your husband or wife walks in the door at the end of the day. You just give them a hug and you connect and you see each other. And that is a moment of joy and connection. What is that? Is it a moment tucking your kids into bed? What is in your routine, a ceremony, a routine that you do that brings you joy? The joy of the Lord will give you strength. So be purposeful about finding those moments of joy. Maybe it's a celebration. Maybe it is a party. Maybe you need to come to Jeff's Zumba party because the la- you can't remember the last time you just went and had a whole lot of fun. For a, f- a few years ago, I can't remember what birthday it was, but um, I told all my friends they had to come to the Mall of America with me and go on a roller coaster. And so we got on a roller coaster, and we were I was laughing so hard. I was like, I can't remember the last time. And we we're all like in our cute clothes with our big purses, and sure enough, we're on the SpongeBob ride going upside down, and we're all just like, Jesus, help us not to die. And I was I was thinking I was like. I I think, I think everybody should maybe go on a roller coaster every, every once in a while just to laugh as hard as I laughed. You know, what are some celebrations? What are you doing? Life can get pretty gray if we just go through every day, every day, and we don't include celebrations, if we don't include these moments, time with your family, time with friends, something special, something different. You know, maybe it is a fancy restaurant, or maybe it's the the most hole-in-the-wall restaurant with the best people in the world. What is that? Make time for those things. Those things will bring you joy, and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Maybe it's just a passion. Maybe it is something you just love to do. Maybe it's creating something or solving something or something that you just love to do. It, for you, it moves far beyond just a hobby. But when you start fiddling around with that thing, you just feel so much joy. I'm laughing at this time of year with all the hunting pictures. Anybody here hunters? Oh, there's only, oh yeah, there's a few of them. I just laugh because, you know, these guys who never post on Facebook the entire year, all of a sudden it's like, here's my stand, here's me sitting in the stand, here's me sitting in the stand, here's my outfit in the stand. And I'm like, they're like like 13-year-old girls with all their deer pictures. And it makes me laugh. But I was thinking about that. Good for you. It's obvious it brings you so much joy. It's something you love to do. Good for you for making it a priority to do that. We all need to be purposeful in doing that. Sometimes we just we just stop doing the things that we love, and we wonder why we're feeling so blah and so weak, and we don't have any of that strength because we don't have any of the joy. So what is that thing that brings you joy? Maybe it's your passions. Maybe it's just beauty. Maybe it's taking the extra moment to just make it a little better, a little nicer. Now, I am a girl that loves a paper plate more than anybody else, right? I like simple. But sometimes just making a little effort to make something beautiful, to have a little effort. Guys, I will tell you, it will go so far if you just take a little extra time and do something just a little extra special for your wife. It just goes so far, something about a little bit of beauty, to make things beautiful. Maybe just lighting a candle. Maybe just um, making sure that things look nice. Whatever that is. 
you know, Jeff and I always laugh when we go out to dinner and, like, it's an anniversary and we get all dressed up. We're always like, who are these people? Look at us. Look at us out on the town in real clothes. And then we laugh. We always, And then we always, halfway through dinner, why don't we do this more? This is so fun. We should do this more often because this is really great. And yet life sometimes just takes over and we don't do those things. So I'll ask you again, what are the things that bring you joy? What does that look like for you? Make time to do those things. Not, be, not just because the thing itself is great, but because God is present in those moments when we are experiencing joy. And he has said that that joy will strengthen us. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10 says, Go ahead, eat your food with joy, drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all your meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God has gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Go ahead. Eat your food with joy. Gather people around your table that you love. Experience joy. You know, we all know that we need strength. And we all know that God offers us strength. But I love that today, and as I've been studying this this week, I just love that this is one of the vehicles that God has promised to bring strength to us. How great is that? That he says, okay, I'm going to give you strength, and one of the ways I'm going to do it is by just really great moments where you're having joy. That is just a beautiful thing. So when you're feeling weak... This week, I was trying to put this into practice. When I was feeling sad, I was feeling discouraged, when I was feeling overwhelmed, I tried to stop and have a moment of joy and say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to experience something here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go laugh with my kids. I'm going to go do something and experience joy because you've promised me that strength is in that moment. And so if you're feeling weak this week, I encourage you to seek joy. If you're feeling overwhelmed, Seek celebration. Do something a little great. Go steal your wife for, for lunch and take her someplace. Go do something. If you're feeling overwhelmed, experience some joy and see if some strength doesn't come to you in it. And when you feel like you're not going to make it, gather those people that you love around you. Feel the sweet presence of Jesus around your table. I pray that this week, as you're gathering for Thanksgiving, that there is a moment that you recognize the presence of God around your table, that he has promised that in that moment, there will be strength for you. And if you don't have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving, you come to my house or my mom's house. She'd love to have you, but I'll be there because we all need those moments where we gather with people and we experience the joy that comes from the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you so much that you don't leave us face down on the ground in our mess. We all know that's where we deserve to be. We all know that. But the grace and mercy you extend us daily lifts us up. Your word says you are the lifter of our countenance, the lifter of our head. You lift us up and you say, it's okay. Don't be sad. Don't be dejected. Don't stay there. Don't weep and don't mourn and don't wail. But find joy. And in that joy, I will be there and I will strengthen you. 
Lord, I pray that every person in this place that is feeling so weak and so vulnerable, I pray that today you would begin to fill them with the joy of the Lord, that you would begin to remind them of all the good things you have given them. I pray that there would be joy that comes to them this week as they gather with friends and they gather with family and they experience beauty and celebration and ceremony. I pray, Lord, as people engage in things that bring joy to their families, I pray that there would just be a moment that they would catch themselves smiling and laughing and feel your presence in that moment and feel that strength going into their soul and spirit. And that in those moments, we would remember that you are in those places, that they are holy and sacred moments. It might be the most mundane thing, and yet if there's laughter and joy You are there. And it's not just for the moment, but, Father, in that moment, you infuse us with the strength to remember why it is that we serve you, to remember why it is that we walk your ways, because you are good and faithful. And we are so, so, so grateful for all of your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.